This is Hank for the Wildflower Bee Farm. This is our audio podcast for Monday, July 5th, 2021. Now, I seem to be saying this every week, but this has been another uh, quite uh, eye-opening kind of experience here on the farm. What's happened over the past few weeks, and you probably noticed if you watch the videos on Instagram, Wildflower Bee Farm, or on our site, wildflowerbeefarm.com, you know that there's been a couple of hives, hives that we've been looking at that have been really engaging in strange behavior. So my routine is such that I'm able to watch a lot of the entrance activity at the hives, and then Mary does her video, so I get a close-up of these of these hives that I'm concerned about. And I posted one last week, a video a podcast. Actually, the whole thing's on Instagram. About a hive that appeared to have mites, and a mite trying to get on a bee and how a bee reacted. But that hive was in trouble for a very long time before having to do with mites. <clears throat> we discovered this week by looking at the behavior and then actually opening up a hive, or two, actually three. One of the splits didn't make it that I did, the no-look splits. Another one I'm not too sure about either. And also uh, two hives that were going into their third year um, <clears throat> appeared to um, not make it because of queen failure. The queens didn't make it. And we know this because over a gradual period of time, the population began to decrease. And at first, it just seemed like a change in behavior. Then the bees continued to bring in nectar, nectar primarily with the odd pollen. And then the only activity we saw was some movement around the entrance with nobody flying to get any food, which is usually a sign of a serious problem. So when I opened it up, sure enough, the, the queen had been gone or... Uh, killed probably four to six weeks before I opened up the hive. So there's a lot of science out there about this, what beekeepers are supposed to do when they start to see queen failure. And I also did some research and found out that queens used to live five to seven years. Now they live six months to one year, which is a probably, they think, a byproduct of a lot of things, partially our environment. But that obviously is a problem. And so honey beehives obviously are continually rejuvenating themselves by creating new queens because they're going to lose the one they have. And without a queen, you know, in six months to a year, you don't have a hive. So any of our hives that are entering their third year, which is a number of them, obviously we think, and we have no way of knowing, it's not the same queen they came with. And hopefully the, the genetics are improving. So step back for a minute. So you might be wondering, well, if this guy opened his hives every two weeks and looked at all of them he would have known he could have fixed and all that kind of stuff and you know when I look at the two hives that didn't make it uh, one of them was a direct descendant of the hive that didn't make it last winter another we knew was in trouble last year so we combined hives it was kind of a weak hive then not to make excuses just saying that when you intervene as a beekeeper the question is or bee helper are you propagating a bad strain genetics or otherwise and should you just let nature take course because we know that in nature let's say there's a a group of bees a family living in a hollowed out log way up somewhere on a tree in the middle of a forest when that queen uh, dies for whatever reason eventually the colony is no longer there and so other insects and even animals come in and and do their thing so first the wax moths come in and they basically eat all, and wasps will come in, and then you might get a mouse in there if the hole's big enough. It takes about a year, and the entire hollow cavity is cleaned out. And then usually what happens is another beehive comes in, because no matter what the 
wax moths do and whatever else goes in there. It still has that fragrance of having been lived in by a hive, and bees pick that up very quickly when they're swarming, and they will then move in, and they'll probably stay there for another three years or could stay there for 20. It depends. So there's a natural progression of what happens when a hive doesn't make it in nature. Now, what we did and what I did when, I, when this happened yesterday or the other day was that I went in, and when I saw what was going on, I realized I couldn't use the frames anymore. So I couldn't take those frames, and I couldn't put them as they were in other hives so that they could use it for space. So I destroyed all of those, with the exception of one hive. I took way out into the, fo into the bush, into the forest, and sort of put it in a position as it would be if it were a hive in a tree that suddenly lost its queen, where, you know, there's a lot of wax, there's even some honey left in that hive. Um, other wasps and things will come in and take it, and then wax moths will come in, and then mice might come in or other wasps or whatever, and then within a year, we'll see what it looks like. So it's a bit of a research. The other ones I totally cleaned up because you don't want those hives to be around, and this was in an area where we had a couple other hives. You don't want them to be around your existing hives just in case there are a few bees left with mites or whatever it may be. So that was a real sort of look at the way I had to look at this idea of treatment-free beekeeping because there seems to be, you know, a real question of the... Uh, my, uh, my first thought was to get formic acid and just blast them, you know, that's, which is part of the old training that you get about mites and agriculture. When you see an infestation of something, you, you get some product, you look at how to use it, the side effects, make sure you can use it, and then you go and try it. Well... Even though formic pro and formic acid is considered natural, it is tough on queens. And I just finished saying the queens, and, and the queens may not have survived because of my hop guard. Remember I told you that right after hop guard, I seemed to lose two hives right away. So any kind of treatment, whether it's organic or not, appears to have an impact, obviously. So then I started looking at this, this idea of, you know, treatment-free beekeeping and I think it's important to be open-minded and say that however you treat, keep bees or treat bees are fine, but the idea of, of treatment-free beekeeping is going to be difficult because, you know, we have right now, I believe, 38 hives, which, you know, we, we had 30 when we started the season. Now we're at 38 despite the few hives that we just uh, lost queens to. And you need a large number of hives because it's it's common that when you help bees learn to survive the way we are you're going to lose half or more of your hives or you may lose most of them if not all of them so it's going to be a very difficult time we haven't used much treatments here though we have log hives who have never been treated and they're doing fine over this is now one into its second year we have top bars into their third year that haven't been treated and they look amazing they, they swarmed again there's no sign of mites when we do our checks so I have no idea what's going on, although they're all isolated in the forest. They're not beside anything else. Um, and they they just seem to be doing fine with all the uh, food and resources and, you know, different things we have here. It's clear that we're going to lose more as we move through this sort of cycle and system of trying to be, you know, and I, I, I have a hard time saying treatment-free because even planting clover, you could argue, is treatment. So... I'm not sure I should use that term, so perhaps it's uh, it's about letting the bees handle disease themselves. I know that's a pretty long, you know, 
definition or statement, but that's kind of what we're trying to do, make them as strong as we can, as healthy as we can by giving them the right environments and the right homes to live in. Another quick uh, comment, too, on swarms. We, we had five uh, swarms choose to live with us this spring, and the research shows that only 10 to 15% of swarms will survive to the next year. Now, so far, of the five um, swarms that came, uh, we had uh, four of them go into hollowed-out log hives, and we had one of them go into a traditional Langstroth hive that I had put. Um, it was it was one of the ones that had had a queen failure, and I had put it in sort of the middle of nowhere in the bush uh, on a skid, so it was very close to the ground, quite close within a couple hundred yards of other hives and so on. Also within about 100 um, yards of a log hive that had, it had been um, occupied with a swarm just a few weeks earlier. And sure enough, a hive went and stayed, picked that out and stayed there and is now thriving. We have a video of that we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the other four of the other four log hives that were this year were occupied. Two are rocking and two are empty because the queens didn't make it. So the, the idea that a, that a swarm necessarily means that you're propagating is, you know, we had a lot of swarms on the farm, but the chances are that only a few of them are going to make it. And so, but you need a lot of those swarms to be able to have that happen. You know, just one or two swarms is not going to make a big difference. You're going to need a lot of them. It's also interesting that when you read, and remember, when we have a swarm, we don't go catch it. We sort of allow it to choose where it goes by putting homes around it. And if it, you know, happens to pick us, great. If it goes somewhere else, that's it. People who catch swarms report a significant number, over 50%, leave within the first few days, unless they're locked in, basically. So these bees that we catch, we've been taught to catch, which I did initially and I don't do anymore, they really, you, you can't really catch them. They, you catch them for a while, but then they go wherever they want. And I think if you keep them locked up too long, they have to stay, but then they're not as healthy because they're not as happy with that environment. So our philosophy is let them choose where they live. And even in that case, this year, we out of five hives, we, we're going into the winter, unless there's some late swarms, which have even more less likely chance of surviving. We have a 60% that appear to be solid. They're, they're very strong. They're, they're just, you know, there's, there's so many bees, they can't all fit, it seems. And so we'll see how that progresses and how many will survive their first winter. Uh, and it's interesting that even though there were some um, you know, availability in a top bar hive we have, and in war hives, the the um, swarm chose a Langstroth hive that had resources in it. All of the hives have wax in it. We put some, you know, the the empty ones have some wax in it and lemongrass. But uh, that swarm picked a Langstroth hive, which I was very surprised. It's it's you'll see the video. It's what you would call a fixer upper. If you're talking about. Uh, um, you know, hives. It's not exactly a, a great piece of lumber that they chose. And then I, I think about that uh, eight framer uh, from my dad that we have, and, and I'm going to do a video on its behavior too, how it seems to be surviving Varroa and everything else without any treatment. And it's it's a raggedy eight framer um, that has been through the winter with a with a with a. Uh, a group of bees and that community still strong and intact so we'll talk some more about that so you know helping bees 
get tougher and stronger as part of a natural selection process. It still hurts when you when you lose a hive, and we know we're going to lose many more, but that's part of this and the hope that you know we eventually have 10 or 15 hives that have survived three or four years this will be our third winter for some of them um, after this winter it will be the um, you know the key telltale sign of uh, where we're at and we'll just keep uh, keep grinding away so it's beautiful here quick update on the flowers the um, the um, yellow sweet clovers probably at about 30 percent blooming strong in some areas the white sweet clovers coming out in certain spots and actually some of it in the bush which we have no idea how it got there uh, continue with uh, a lot of milkweed and other uh, alsic clover white clover still out so it's it's still a very busy place and the bees are bringing all kinds of pollen different colors and so they're getting a lot more diversity now as the clover sort of backs off a little bit. They're going to be getting into more thistles and other types of uh, flowers that are blooming. So I'm Hank for the Wildflower Bee Farm. L uh, that's our report for this week. Look forward to speaking with you again next time.